Pastor Tim said, my name is Daniel, and uh, I have one quick little thing, announcement, so to speak, to share, and that's for Rooted. Uh, we have uh, a class that we've put together, kind of a spiritual growth essential, so if you are new to Abundant Life, or young in your faith in Christ, or really, this, I think there's a lot of people that in this house that don't even fit those two criteria that the rooted class that we're going to be doing is totally for you. Uh, it's going to be next Sunday after the second service, so it'll be at lunchtime, and then it'll be the following Sunday. So the next two Sundays after the second service downstairs, we'll have pizza provided, and we'll do a, a couple of sessions for that, and I'll be kind of spearheading most of the teaching for that, so we would love for you to come, but if you do want to come, uh, we want to know how much pizza to order, so please sign up over at our Connection Hub for that, or uh, you can uh, follow the instructions, how you can do it digitally in our bulletin or uh, on our website, which is at theuptownchurch.net. So uh, if you have any questions, you can talk to me about that, but we have started doing that over the, the, in the last probably six months with some tremendous success because a lot of times we want to grow in our faith, but there are certain key ingredients that really help us move forward in our growth. And so uh, these, these have been proven to really help people. So uh, if you have any questions about that, you can ask me about it. At this time, we're going to pray and, and uh, then we'll, we'll get into the scripture. So Father God, I thank you so much for everything that you've done already today. We thank you, God, for uh, ministering to people and and God, we right now just come before you, and I pray, Father God, that, that you would give us all the ability to hear and the ability to see, God, things of your spirit, that we would catch uh, what you want us to catch here today. Lord, we, we thank you for what you've done, and I ask, God, that you would give me your words to articulate and to express and communicate uh, where, what you want to say. God, I just pray that today you would build our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, this week, obviously, I was in preparation because I knew that I was going to be preaching, and this week was, I, I think, was, in my opinion, was kind of the climax of this whole coronavirus thing, and so we've had a lot of, a lot of news and a lot of headlines and all these things being canceled and a lot of different emotions and thoughts that I think we all have experienced, and, and, and I'm just like, of course, I'm preaching Sunday, like, Tim... I, I'm not preached since early January, and now I'm on. And I was like, come on, how does this happen? But I was preparing, you know, to speak, and as I, with each day, I just kept kind of asking God, trying to get direction about where to go, and several days ago, I was spending time, and I was locked away, and trying to connect with God, trying to get some clarity, trying to get some direction, and quite honestly, I wasn't getting super far in my preparation, and I think... Uh, that I, I was just just kind of sitting there like, God, what's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm having a hard time. Like, the, these people, they need to hear from you. They, they don't need me to go up there and share a few scripture verses and give my best hurrah. They need, to, they need you to talk to them. And, and so I was, I was feeling this pressure, so to speak, to be epic and to try to uh, really just, yes, this is the word of the Lord and go all profit on you guys. And I didn't have much faith for today. I didn't have much faith for God to do much. And, and I began in this time of prayer of trying to connect with God, trying to reverse engineer or reverse process 
what was going on in my mind and why there was a problem where I was not connecting with God. And and so I began to, to prayerfully ask God and even ask myself questions and like, why don't I believe that God's going to show up on Sunday? Why am I struggling to believe that God's going to speak through me? And as I began to work backwards, I began to realize, and I felt like the Holy Spirit revealed to me, is because your faith is in your own goodness, not in my goodness. And so today, I really have a very simple idea. I really wanted to, to, to wow you, but I feel like the Lord today, if you get nothing else, just wants you to know, He wants you right now to trust in His goodness. God is so good beyond what we can process as good, beyond what we can comprehend as good. The Father loves you, and the Father is so good. And so the Lord began to speak to me, Daniel, when you speak, I will be there. When you speak, I will speak through you. I am going to touch my people. And it's not because you're good enough. It's because I, or God, is good enough. You see, I think that part of my problem was sometimes spiritually you feel connected to God. Sometimes... I just feel like I'm in the zone. I read my Bible, boom, comes alive. I feel like I'm doing well spiritually. But it's kind of embarrassing to to talk like this with you guys, but I'm just going to be real with you. Even though I know in my head it's all about Jesus is my righteousness and Jesus is my holiness, sometimes somewhere in my messed up, in the back of my brain, I get these thoughts like I haven't prayed enough, I haven't been wholehearted enough. I haven't been passionate enough. I haven't sought God enough. I'm not really hearing that well. I'm not really in tune with God like I probably should. And, and so what starts happening is I keep thinking of all the ways that I have failed. or all the ways that I'm not good enough. And so there I am Friday afternoon thinking to myself, you haven't, you, you, I've sought God, but the reason God's not talking to me right now is because he's not super happy with me. Now, when you say it out loud, it sounds kind of dumb. And you guys are like, Daniel, that's just heresy. But I literally found myself at one point being like, God, are you, are you happy with me right now? Like, I know, you do, I know you are, but I'm not feeling it. And I think that, that as I was grappling and wrestling and God just kind of speaking to me, and the Lord's like, your faith is in your own goodness. So when you're good, you have faith. And when you don't feel good, you don't have faith. And see, the thing is, is that God is so good that He wants to give you good things. He wants to bless you. He wants to be there for you. But faith is the key that unlocks the kingdom. And so God can want to bless you all day long, but if you and I don't have faith, then we will not receive or obtain what God is literally wanting to hand to us. The key ingredient I found over and over uh, in seeing faith manifest is the goodness of God. You saw a person today share about how their knees, God touched their knees. Why? Why? 
Because God is good. And when the testimony came, it revealed a piece of the goodness and the glory of God. And when you saw it, it created faith. And when we see the goodness of God in our lives, it produces faith. When I pray for people, and I prayed for many people, many have not been healed, many have been healed. What was the difference? Well, I don't know a lot, and I don't have any, a lot of the answers, but I am not going to lie to you. When I operated in the kind of faith that really saw a lot of results, it was usually because I, it was the goodness of God. There was, and I, don't know this, I, don't, I wish I could put it into like a spiritual word for you, but it's like when we connect with God, you're so good. God so wants to touch you. God so wants to heal you. God so has a word for you. When we have that, we have confidence when we walk in the goodness of God. And we can have the head knowledge all day long, but when our eyes are open, the eyes of our revelation is opened, when the curtain is pulled back and we see the goodness of God, it changes us. And it changes how we process. It changes how we pray. It changes how we handle our various circumstances. And so today, the Lord, I really believe, is like we need to stop trusting in how we are performing. We need to start trusting in the fact that God loves you, God is good, and God wants to do it regardless of what you were like this week. You know, you look at some of the Old Testament stuff, and you're like, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do that, you'll be cursed. You're like, dang. But that feels right, doesn't it? You do what's right, you're blessed. You do what's wrong, you're cursed. That was an Old Testament covenant. We are not in that covenant. We have been crucified with Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, we died with him. When he was resurrected, we were resurrected with him. And now he lives his life through us, and he liter- we are literally covered with Christ. And so when the Father looks at us, he sees us righteous. He sees us faultless. He sees us as he sees his son, good. And so today, I want to look at this idea of trusting in God's goodness. So I want to pull up a passage of scripture out of Mark chapter 10. I'm going to be uh, spending a good deal of time just in one area of of scripture, and there's a a lot of text. And so uh, it will be on the screen, but I think you'll get more out of it if you have your Bible in front of you. So We're going to pick it up in verse 13 here in just a moment. Jesus is, uh, you know, going around doing what Jesus does. So that's what we're going to be reading about. And in verse 13, Mark chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Then they brought little children to him, that's Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. And said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, Leave a little mental bookmark in your brain over what we just read because we're going to come back to that. But now we're going to move on to the very next verse. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, 
What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? I think that's just a good little stopping point for a moment. Why do you call Jesus good? Why do you call God good? What is it that makes him good? But Jesus goes on to say, No one is good. No one is good but one. That is God. Some people misunderstand what Jesus is trying to communicate, and they actually think that Jesus is saying that he's not God. But the question you've got to ask yourself is, is Jesus good? Trust me, you can do this. My, those kids downstairs know this. They, Jesus is good, all right, just so you know. If Jesus is good, then Jesus is God. So Jesus is actually saying, you're right. I am good. But why do you call me good? Because this, uh, we, I'm going to kind of go back and forth. This account in, in Mark chapter 10 is also alluded to in Matthew chapter 19. And so both writers have a little bit different details of this interaction between Jesus and what we now know as the rich young ruler. This person was rich, very well off, very wealthy. We know he was young. We also know that he was a ruler, so he had some sense of authority, some people that probably worked for him. Some people wonder if he was the ruler of a synagogue. But nevertheless, we have here a moral person who believes that he is good. This guy believes that he is good, and in Matthew's account says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm good, Jesus is good, and I must do good to have life, to live forever. And Jesus, I mean, it is literally a work of art. The more you study this passage, it is literally masterful how Jesus operates here. Completely piercing through questions and, and, and pulling out what's really inside of this person's heart. But the question Jesus wants to know is, you think I'm good, but I want you to know only God is good. You think you're good, but you're not. Think about that. I just feel like I'm being Mr. Encouraging. You're not good. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. This guy, he really wants to follow God. He is not a rebellious person. He is not a, a, a religious Pharisee. He comes, he runs, he bows. And he says, well, I know I lack something. And you know what it is. And Jesus is like, well, start, let's start right here. You trust in you. Because you think you're good enough. But like I said, our goodness ebbs and flows, right? One day, we're the most amazing husband or wife. The next day, we need to repent because of what we did or didn't do. We have, we, you know, we, we compare ourselves to ourselves. Yeah, I'm good, you're good, we're all good. But when you compare, the problem is, is we have a tendency to dumb down the goodness of God and, and bring it down to our level.
God is so much better than you or me. God doesn't do this. God is good all the time, regardless of what, where we're at. And so today, we need to, to, to understand that God's goodness is beyond us. And so when we come back to this passage here, Jesus goes on to say in verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And the the young man answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. In Matthew's uh, gospel, he says, What do I lack? What we see here is Jesus is, is trying to show the bar is God. The bar is how good God is. And you have fallen short. But the man still thinks that he can be good enough. And so Jesus goes and tells him the second half of the Ten Commandments, which would be the second tablet. And the man says, I've obeyed all this. I'm doing it. But the man knows I'm lacking something. And see, that's what happens when we live our lives trying to make it in our own goodness. When we were sinners, it was so easy to recognize, oh wow, I really, there's no way that I'm going to make it to heaven. I failed left and I failed right. And so by faith, I'm going to receive Jesus' righteousness. I'm going to believe in Jesus because I know I can't save myself. And so we start out, you know, whether it's addicted, whether it's broken, whatever condition we came When we came to Jesus, we came because of what he did. And that's how we come, by what he did, not what we can do. But then, Jesus starts working on us. He starts cleaning us up. We begin to speak differently. And we begin to treat people differently. And we begin to operate in so many good, Christ-like ways. And then, we can start feeling good about ourselves. And in the back of our brain, be like, Jesus saved me because I couldn't save myself, but now I'll take it from here. I, will, I can be good enough, and we live this way. And he's, but this man knows in his heart he's still lacking something. And when we are putting our confidence in us, we'll always feel like we're lacking. I prayed for one hour, should have prayed two. I fasted for lunch. I should have fasted all day. I tried to help and serve this person with, you know, and help them with this situation. But I feel like I need to help more people. We live with a sense of guilt. We live with a sense of lack. And out of that place, we're perpetually trying to earn and work and become good. And all the while, we start to feel like God is just so demanding. And God's just like, that's, that's all on you. I, you're, doing, you're putting so much on yourself. You're living in guilt. You're living in a cycle. But I don't want you to live like this. I want you to live in freedom. And so we see here in verse 21, Jesus is going to highlight what this man is lacking. 
He has a problem. He knows he has a problem. And Jesus is going to pierce this man with the heart of the root issue, what's going on inside of him. So Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, so Jesus looks at him, there's a gaze. And, and it, it appears to be a gaze of affection. God looks at him with love, with affection. He wants what is best for this man. He, what he's about to do is going to be like a surgeon with a knife. And he's going to do what is best for this man, even though it's not going to feel very fun. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So we see here, Jesus, one thing you lack is what? I want you to go and take everything you have. And I want you to give it away. Give it away to the poor, and then come and follow me. Deny yourself, follow me. And so we see here that at first glance, one, can, one could almost come away with the idea that the problem is his money. The problem is, is this man has too much money. And so you'll find certain people groups that actually believe that poverty is a sign of godliness. But the issue is not having too much money. The issue is, is the money has the man. The man is in bondage. The man is a slave to what? To what gives him security. What makes you feel safe? What gives you protection. Money is not the only thing that can become a God. Money is not the only thing that gives a person security. But it is one of the major ones. This man genuinely wants to follow God and walks away in sorrow. It's really, a, I mean, in a way, it's a really sad story. You're like, hopefully the guy turned it around. But what we do, we don't know how it ends. But we do know in this moment, this man was so in bondage to what brought him protection. He could not let go of it. And he could not follow Jesus. If you went to work tomorrow, and one of your coworkers showed up, ran up to you, and said to you, what do I need to do to be saved? She would be like, thank you, God, this is too easy. And what would we do? We would say, well, what you need to do is you need to surrender. And like, okay, I can surrender. You need to give your life to Jesus. Okay, I'll, I'll give my life to Jesus. And you need to ask Jesus to come and live in your heart. Oh, okay, I can do that. I'll, I'll invite you. So, and you lead him in a prayer. And this prayer is what we call the sinner's prayer. And you've pro if you're in the room, almost everybody has probably prayed it. And if Jesus would have done it with this man, I believe this man would have prayed that prayer. Because the man 
would have said all the right things, but could have walked down the road thinking he was a disciple, thinking he was a Christian, thinking he was saved, and not be. Jesus knows how to expose the idols and the other lovers in our life. When you don't have much money, it's not that hard to give everything to Jesus. I remember when I was in college, it was like, Jesus, I give you everything. And Jesus is like, thanks for the $600. It's all all you got. But the more you get, the more you're in danger. Because the the root issue is who and what do you trust? This week we saw a lot of what we've been building our lives upon. This week, our nation and other nations of the world had a shaking. And in that moment, you found out where your security has been. What makes us feel safe? Is it our money? Is it our job? Is it the health of people around us and that knowing that they're going to live for, for decades and decades? Like, where, how, what, what have we been building our lives upon? And I think we could say that it's almost scary in a way about how fragile we are. You look at our nation, most powerful nation probably in the history of the world, and in a, several weeks, people are hoarding toilet paper. 20 years from now, you're going to be telling your children and your grandchildren about what is happening right now. And, you're, and those little kids are going to be like, Papa, why was there a shortage of toilet paper? And then you know what you're going to say? I still don't know. It's been 20 years. I have no clue. But apparently, there's something about toilet paper that gives us security and a sense of protection. We laugh. My wife and I, we went to, I know Tim, Tim told his toilet paper story. Well, I might as well tell mine. We went to Costco on Monday. Now, we just, we needed, it was a normal, it was time for a normal Costco run. We were getting short on toilet paper, and they were getting cleaned out left and right. And I see, they, they limit two, two, you know, Costco, two of toilet paper, and they have, they have a, a limit of two of those mo- monstrous things per person. And so you see couples walking down with four of them. That will last them until 2022. I mean, they are good to go. And I said to Rachel, and it's funny how you see the panic. You know, I started seeing the panic, and my wife is very godly, very calm. And I'm just like, should we get another? (laughs) And Rachel's just like, and I'm I'm like, and Rachel's like, come on. And I'm like, you know, for other people. (laughs) We might, we might be, you know, giving people toilet paper out of our garage like a needy thing. (laughs) You know, they have a soup kitchen. You know, and the rest of the world, the rest of the world has got to be laughing at us because they don't use toilet paper. 
so they're just like, they, and we don't, we don't get their news. We don't care. But they watch our news. Everything we watch, they watch. We are their entertainment of the world. And so they're discovering what Americans value most when life and death are in the, on the line. And so coming back to this here, where am I? You're reading the Bible. We were, I am all over. <laughs> I'm almost there. Um, give to the poor something about treasure. Take up your cross following Jesus. Oh, so I, I think I just, the big idea that I'm just trying to say here is this man was, could not have two lords. There's only one Lord. In this time, we have to be willing to be wholehearted. That's what we need. Wholehearted in our trust in not our money, not in people, not in our government. We can trust in God. You can because he is good. If we are walking in fear, it is because we have not trusted in the goodness of God. And we need a revelation of it. We need an encounter with the goodness of God. I, uh, I, I know that in, you know, my, my, probably more my teen years, I encountered God. And when you encounter God, you encounter his goodness. When you encounter his goodness, you trust him. I have found that in whatever circumstance I am in, <clears throat> whether I understand or not, I can trust him. And this is, hopefully I can communicate this well to you. I want you to see the next verse. Verse 28. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Peter is completely missing the point. Jesus is trying to, to make a point here. No, I didn't. That's, I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Back it up. Verse 23. Verse 23. All right. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. That is a really disturbing scripture verse to an American because we, we have money. We have money. And he's saying how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Why were they astonished? Because in their culture, it was a sign of God's blessing that you had money. These people grew up hearing the stories of David and Solomon and Abraham. All rich people who were made rich because they followed God. And so now Jesus is telling them that it's hard for rich people to get into heaven. Well, why? They're astonished. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, remember what we talked about earlier? Receiving the kingdom, you got to be like a child. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And I would throw out the idea that 
Riches is not just about money. Riches is whatever you believe makes you rich, whatever you have an abundance of, whatever you have wealth of. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. These are hard words. What is Jesus getting at? It's like Jesus is in an airplane and he's going around the mountain and he's coming down for a landing. He is piercing and disturbing and making this seem almost impossible. The disciples are freaking out right now. And in verse 26, and they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? That's the question. Who, who is saved? Only poor people? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible. It is impossible to be saved in and of ourselves. Whether you are rich or whether you are poor, it is impossible. And that's, that's where he's going with. With men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. When we trust in what we can do, we look at certain situations and say, that is impossible. And that's really what God's trying to get at. Our own weakness, our own frailty, our own limitation, and our own need. That's what we know need, is to know our need. Because with God, everything's possible. So Jesus has landed the plane. It's not your goodness. You can't do this. You need me. You need a miracle. You need a Savior to die on a cross for you if you need salvation. Peter sees the plane land and completely ignores the fact that the plane has landed, completely misses Jesus' point, and says, See, we have left all and followed you. And another uh, gospel says, And what are we going to get out of it? I love how Peter has the audacity to say what we think, but we shouldn't say. <laughs> Let's be honest. Jesus, what are we going to get out of this? You would, you're like, how, how unchristlike. I only followed Jesus because, I mean, whatever reason you, you could say. Peter's saying, what, what are we going to get? Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time hundredfold. I, if I understand correctly, that means times whatever you invest by a hundred. That's your return. If you can find that investment, you'll make a lot of money. But in, you'll receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Dang it. Such a bummer. With persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So, what I want you to see here is that God wants to bless you. God wants what's best for you. And God can be trusted to do not what we want, but what is 
what is good for us. Isn't it interesting that Jesus takes a whole paragraph's worth to explain to his disciples who have already walked away from everything. They have walked away from their their old business. They have walked away from their own lives. These guys, Matthew was a tax collector. He walked away from this. He had a cushy job. He sacrificed. He gave. He walked away from all the money, and he followed Jesus. So here you have all these guys who who have literally forsook their security, their father's fishing business, you name it. They have given it up. And they did what the rich young ruler could not do. And Peter's like, that's right, we did that. So what's, what, what's the cut that we get in this? And Jesus begins to not correct him and say, Peter, you're so, so selfish. All you care about is earthly things. Jesus is actually saying, ah, yeah, you are going to get blessed. You know why? Because God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. And so if you give to God, it's, it would be a mockery. It would make God look bad for you not to be blessed in return. You guys are like, oh, he's getting to that prosperity gospel. No, it's just the kingdom. It's just the kingdom. But here's the thing. If you had your coworker come to you, ask how to be saved, you told them how to be saved. And, but you did kind of more Jesus' way of telling them. And they were like, oh, this is too hard. This is too big a sacrifice. You don't know what I'd be giving up. All my fun, all my this, all my that, I can't give that up. What, what do we do? Oh, no, no, let me explain to you why this is going to be better. We try to talk them like we try to use God's blessing to sweeten the deal. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did not try to talk this man into giving up everything. If this man would have gave up everything, he would have been blessed way beyond whatever he could have given up. And yet, Jesus did not tell him. And I believe that is because Jesus was wanting something in this man to die. And he knew if he would have tried to sweeten the deal with blessing, it would not, the man would have walked thinking he was a disciple of Jesus, but lived in greed. I, uh, I think that coming back to that idea of trusting in God, trusting in God like a child. And it's so interesting to me how the younger a child is, in a, in a way, the less they need to understand the choices and the decisions that we're making. And the older a kid gets, the more they begin to ask questions. Dad, why are you doing this? Dad, why are you making this decision? Dad, I don't want to do this. Can we do this? And, it, and my boys are at an, an, an age right now where they want to understand everything that I'm doing. They want to know what I'm doing. They want to know why I am doing it. And they need to see logic. They want to know if dad is smart or dumb. It's true. You, you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to work hard to prove to your kids that you are not dumb. And the other day, I can't remember what it was. The other day, my kids and I were talking. I think it was about friction on, and tires and hot weather. And we had to Google it. And my son was right and I was wrong. It's like, oh, I, trying to show him that I'm smart. And that he should listen to me. But the thing is, is that 
the older we get, we want to understand not only what's happening, but why it's happening and what to do when it's happening. And that's not wrong in and of itself. But a child doesn't even have to always ask those types of questions. And there are even times with my kids where, you know, I'm in a, in a situation where I, I don't have time to explain this to you. We've got to get our butts out the door. We have to be somewhere in five minutes. So I'll explain this later. And I just say, you've got to trust me. You've got to obey me. Just do what I say and get in the van. And then, you know, a couple hours later when we have a moment, I explain it. And I say, this is why I did it. This is the situation. And I explain to them that I really am smart. That was supposed to be funny. But some of you laugh. <laughs> Anyways, some of you don't know when to get cue cards. So, in this last week, really last month, I think a lot of us have wanted to know God, what should I do? God, why is this happening? God, what about this? And God, will you promise me and tell me it's all going to be okay? And, and we want God to talk to us, and that's not wrong. But I think that a lot of times God just comes back and says, I want you to know that I'm good and you can trust me. But God, what about this? And God's like, do you trust me? Because I don't understand God, and God's like, exactly. That's what I want. I, God, you know, God did not give the rich young ruler all the information. God does not give us all the information. He tells us what we need to hear and expects us to trust in mystery. And then we walk this dance of mystery, of trust. And then it all begins to make sense and we'd be like, oh God, you're smart. You knew it. I had no idea. You're smart. But will you trust in his goodness when you don't understand what he's doing? If Jesus is asleep in the boat, don't panic. Because I remember Pastor Tim said this years ago, and it was like I was in crisis mode in, high, in college. And this is what he said. If Jesus is asleep in the boat, it is a sign that all is well. And I want to take a moment to kind of share with you a little of kind of what I am perceiving in my spirit. I know that I, I really wanted to have like, okay, God, what, what is the prophetic word? What is the spirit of the Lord saying to us in this moment, in this situation? And uh, I just, in my spirit, I feel like with this whole coronavirus thing, that we've been going on this escalation. It's been getting worse. It's been getting more intense. And I believe that in my spirit, we have hit the climax. And that I, I'm not saying we have turned the corner, but in my spirit, I perceive that we are turning the corner. And that things are going to return to normal. I'm not saying like tomorrow, but I'm just saying like I, I, I think the worst of it is over, is what I, is what I perceive I could be wrong. I'm not saying God told me this. But God, I believe, has put into my heart to tell you something. And that is, is that there is a greater danger than the coronavirus. And I believe this is what he wants me to end this. Katie, you can come up, please. There's another danger that I think God is more concerned about than what we are concerned about. Well, I'll, I'll read this scripture verse to you and then I'll explain more. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, the people of Israel were about to enter into the promised land. They had lived 40 years in a wilderness. Moses had led them, and now he is preaching a sermon to them to prepare them for the moment that they are entering into their destiny. In verse 10, Moses says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. So here's the big idea. When you have eaten and are full, then beware. This is the warning. This is what you need to be concerned about. Beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I believe that this is on God's heart today. And I believe that we're like, God, what about this? What about that? And I believe the Lord is saying, you do not need to be afraid because this will pass. But the danger is not in the crisis. It is in the blessing. It is when everything goes back to normal. And you feel a temptation to not need God. And you feel a temptation to not seek God. And you're at bank account and the stock market goes up. Because I believe that we are about to see huge prosperity in this, in this nation. I believe that we are going to see blessing, finances, resources. And we didn't deserve it. Houses, we didn't build it. Vineyards, we didn't plant it. You and I do not deserve the blessing that is coming our way. We are going to see blessing and it's going to be by grace. Not because you're smart enough. Not because you invested in this. Not because you deserve the promotion at work. Not because you deserve the rights. God is going to bless this nation. And right now, the real crisis in this nation is to beware when you're blessed to forget about God. This, I believe, is more pressing than what we are concerned about. It's all about grace. And when you remember that it's not my goodness, it's his grace. It's not my works, it's his grace. Then you have no room for pride and you can stay in a place of dependence. Because we don't want to be like the rich young ruler. Religious, spiritual, wanting to please God, wanting eternal life, and yet harboring idolatry and the worship of something else and looking for protection in something else. God loves you and God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of us. I really believe this is going to pass and it's going to be one of those things like it, can't, it will leave as fast as it came. You just want to stand up? If I can get the prayer team to come up here to the front. Let's take a moment. Let's connect with God. Let's let the, the word get into our hearts.
And when I'm done, uh, if, if you would like to inherit eternal life, you can get that today by putting your true trust only in God. And if you would like to do that, please come up here and let one of these people pray with you. They will lead you in how to do that and how to be saved. And if you're here and you, you, you already have given your life to Christ, but maybe there's some other things in your life that, that need to be set apart, and maybe there are some th- maybe God's been putting that one thing that you won't let go of. Maybe it's cur- your career. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's who you marry. Maybe it's whether you get married. You guys are like, Daniel, don't talk like that. It's a nervous thing. But if you can't lay it down, then it probably shows it's a God. And so now is the time to respond to the Spirit of God that you would be wholehearted in putting your complete trust of every part of you into God. So Father, we thank you. We've come to you and we give you the glory. God, I have delivered the message as best as I know how. I pray you'd fill in the gaps and that your word would take root in our hearts and that it would bear fruit. God, I pray that you'd fill every person with your spirit here today. And God, I pray that every person under the sound of my voice, that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, let them see what you're doing. Let them hear what you're saying. And I pray, God, that you'd reveal your goodness to us like you revealed it to Moses. Show us your goodness. Don't let us stay the same. In Jesus' name, amen.